the startup, grow up, and scale up journey. This is the Pain of Scale, the Notion Capital Podcast. I'm Paul. This is the Notion Capital Pain of Scale podcast. I'm with Stephen, as always. And uh, today, globalization and U.S. expansion, a topic we've touched upon so many times, but we never seem to uh, touch the bottom of it because it's both so complicated and so fascinating. So who do we have today, Stephen, to talk about this? And why is it so important for startups? I'm delighted today that we're talking to an old friend, Elizabeth Jamay. She's the founding partner at Corporate Immigration Partners, and she supports European companies address their immigration challenges getting into the US and specifically at corporate immigration partners responsible for immigration strategy and implementation. Why is this so important? Because for every European tech startup with ambitions to be a global leader, at some point, they're going to consider building a team around the world. And very often that's going to be in the US. Yeah. Also possibly Asia as well. We, we may talk about that later on. And that step is fraught with risk and, of course, opportunity. They've got to secure the local market and gain a foothold in a new one. They've got to win their first customers. They've got to find product market fit. They've got to validate their go-to-market strategy. They've got to find a great location. They've got to hire some extraordinary people. And most importantly, almost without exception, They're going to send founders and senior team members from wherever the home market is, UK, Denmark, France, Germany, to live and work in those markets. And this is an increasingly global world for sure. But immigration has become a very complicated and quite a loaded topic in, in many countries. And that's where Elizabeth comes in. And she's been incredibly helpful for us and for our portfolio. She works with them on a really holistic basis, looking at immigration strategy, compliance and mobility issues, helping them on talent research. She's a kind of legal mind you want to go back to if you're walking in this minefield. So Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you so much, Stephen. That was such a, a wonderful introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I, you'd almost think I was the one that hadn't had any coffee and it was 5 a.m. But you sound so on it. Well, it is 5 a.m. here. And thank you so much for having me today. This is a topic that I'm extremely passionate about and love to get back to because we've been so focused here internally in the U.S. for the last months. And my last trip was in, in March back from the U.K. to home. And I, I'm, I'm anxious to get back at some point. Missing Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to seeing you back. And we are very grateful that you would do that on a single coffee at 5 a.m. <laughs> very courageous. I apologize now for stumbling. <laughs> the funny thing is you always think at 5 a.m. you're awake and then halfway through a sentence, you're like, well, I think I really am half asleep still. So. <laughs> so let's jump straight in. What's going on? Sounds good. And why is immigration into the U.S. such a hot topic? Well, let's go back four years. This administration has not hesitated to issue quite a few executive orders that really did influence how businesses could freely come and go from the U.S. and build and expand. And then on top of that, you have a global pandemic in 2020 that also had consequences for traveling inside. And it really has jolted the flow of individuals through the world, right? So what you see is European founders or Australia, Singapore coming to the U.S. And when that's disruptive, it really causes a slowdown in your expansion. So yeah, we've just been hit really hard with executive orders, with the pandemic. There's a lot of uncertainty. And I do think companies are a little bit hesitant. Although I will have to say, 
I have been astonished at the resilience of startups, just astonished. And the ability to keep functioning with such tight controls has been really just something amazing to see. They are a resourceful group. I've been incredibly impressed by by everybody in our portfolio and everybody I've talked to. Putting the politics aside, what are the very first things a founder should consider on a relocation to the US for themselves or, or for their colleagues? You know, so going back to what you said about a holistic approach, you really need to think about your inward expansion into the US holistically. And you need to bring together a solid team of not only tax corporate, but also immigration professionals. And you need to have that team working together. The mistake that I see that really does influence success for a founder early on expanding into the US or Australia or Singapore is that they don't do enough research up front and they do not connect their trusted circle of advisors together. And they don't know that information early enough. So I would say that the first thing you do is reach out to your trusted set of advisors, connect them, talk to them about all the pitfalls with immigration, for example. I really would love for you to start six months out, which is crazy, I think, to think about that timeline, but even six to nine months out, given the situation now. And so start those conversations early. Know what you're up against when you go and talk to your investors, because your investors inevitably want to know like how hard is it going to be to to make this lift into the U.S. and get the advisors talking amongst each other so they can create a strategy. Because oftentimes I can be pretty creative on the immigration side, but there's not a lot of leeway on the tax and corporate side. So what I want to do is be able to set you up for success by working with the other advisors. So that's the first thing you want to do is make sure you have your team working together. The second thing you really want to explore is long-term implications. Don't just think about the moment. A lot of individuals are so anxious and they have so many things going on, right? They, they're trying to hire their first salesperson in the U.S. They're trying to figure out go-to-market strategies in both the U.S. and, say, APAC. And so their time is short, so they really want to rush. And I don't blame them. But you really need to know what the pitfalls are there and make sure that you're, you're figuring out what long-term implications for what visas you're looking at can cause. I'll give you a perfect example. Say you want to live in the U.S. for just a couple of years to get your business going, and then you have every intention to go back. That might have an implication on what types of visas we use versus a common situation you're married to a U.S. citizen, and you have permanent residency complications or issues to sort out while you're working on a temporary work permit. So there's just a lot of things you need to consider, both short-term and long-term. Is there anyone in particular you'd like to shout out in terms of that kind of trifecta of yeah. tax and corporate and immigration? Yes. Obviously, you're on the immigration side. Yeah, absolutely. So I think probably the best, and I know he's heard me say this a million times, I know he works with the portfolio companies, but Dan Glazer, who's the founding partner of the Wilsons and Sydney London. And there's a take a deep sigh of relief. He's just the most wonderful guy. And he, he just gives us such a sense of reassurance, doesn't he? He does. And, you know, I swear he's given me an honorary degree in the do's and don'ts of U.S. expansion because he's just a phenomenal leader, a phenomenal individual. I don't think I trust another corporate lawyer like I do, Dan, and just an all around good guy. And then 
For tax, there's a couple of groups that I would recommend. There's, of course, U.S. Tax and Financial is one that I've worked with quite a lot. They're based in London and a couple of other locations in the EU and quite a few individuals that came from the big four that are now there. I've always been impressed with their ability to really focus on the, the important parts for founders and individuals. And it really depends on when they initiate these conversations, are they still in the UK and their plans are to keep their residency there there, stuff like that. If they're in the U.S. and they intend to do a long-term stint here, they might want an individual that's based in the U.S. If that's the case, there's a, a wonderful group called the Global Tax Network, GTN. I use them quite often if the individual is already here and needs to seek tax advice. So I think it depends a lot on like where they're located at the time you initiate the, the relationship and kind of some of the personal desires of the founder. And the other thing you need to rely on when you're looking for your advisor really find some that have strong networks, right? Because that's going to make a huge difference. And I know, Stephen, you've you've talked about this a lot for other areas of expansion. Network is, is super important. And that's the same for your advisors, your tax and immigration and corporate. For example, Dan's network extends extensively around the world. And do you anticipate different treatment for the UK once it formally leaves the EU? I don't necessarily think there will be any kind of real changes for UK nationals. We won't really see any implications there. Where I do think it will have implications for is structure of how companies are operating within the EU and the UK and how they set up the tax implications. And that will naturally cause a ripple effect with immigration. But you won't see a huge impact on U.S. immigration for the founders. You know, and this is, again, not necessarily Brexit issues, but just given the fact that the U.S. embassies and consulates around the world have been closed for a better part of 2020 and there's a huge backlog, I think in general, the more important thing is what country you're coming from, what is the U.S. embassy's backlog in that country, and plan accordingly. So it's more just a backlog versus a Brexit issue. And could you just talk us through some of the kind of common immigration choices and some of your recommendations? Yeah. So unlike other countries, Australia, for example, that have many different types of ways you can get in, the U.S. is quite limited in their visa categories that founders can really use. And if we're focusing on the UK, four primary visas for founders, you have your e-visa. So an e-visa is a treaty visa, which we can use if you're investing or you're trading with the U.S. quite extensively. You have the L visa, which is an intercompany transfer visa. So for executives and managers and also essential employees, but for the founders, it would be the L1A visa. You have the O-1 visa. We use sometimes if, say, you've received a lot of publicity, you have some interesting original scientific contributions to your area. And then very rarely, actually, for founders, do we use the H-1B. And there's a number of reasons. But as far as UK individuals, we usually go to the E first, the E visa, mainly the E-2, because it's relatively easy to set up adjudicated there in London, relatively quick process and pretty stable. It's still stable, I would say, even given 2020 year that we've had. And happy to say that the U.S. Embassy in London is up and running and they're actually doing a really great job of pushing cases through that have been sitting since March. So those are kind of the categories of visas that I would look at focusing mainly on the E2. And that's your starting point, the E2. Right, because one other important aspect is, can my spouse work? 
<laughs> and with the E2 visa and the L1 visa, spouses can work. And that is pretty important. With the O1 and the H1B visa, spouses cannot work on those dependent visas. That's really important to consider. The other thing is certain visas have wages attached to them. The H1B, for example, you must pay a certain wage to qualify for that visa, which is not necessarily a problem for founders. But when you are on a very restricted budget trying to you know, launch in the U.S., it is sometimes a consideration that we need to take. And also that's where the long-term planning comes in. You know, what are your intent? How long do you want to stay in the U.S.? The interesting thing is the E-2, it's renewable indefinitely. So you can sit on an E-2 visa for many, many years, super flexible. The L-1 for executives and managers is limited to seven years. It's a little bit limiting. What are the risks to founders, you know, in terms of immigration status? One of the things that you really have to consider, again, you'll hear me say this over and over again until you're tired of it, the planning piece, right? So if you're so lucky to be successful, which the Notion Capital Companies have been, <laughs> shout out to, to Notion and their success on supporting their companies. But when you're successful and you end up getting acquired, acquisitions can actually lead to immigration issues. So when you find yourself in that position, consulting with your immigration attorney on how an acquisition will affect your underlying immigration status is extremely important because I have seen founders stuck in a pretty precarious position, which it's great that they're being acquired and they've had a lot of success, but also has ramifications for their issues. And that mainly revolves around the ownership piece of the company and who owns the company. And then the other issue I just brought up was the spouse work. I think a lot of times, realistically speaking, that can cause some tension. And going back to the holistic approach, you have to think of immigration, not only from a founder's family's perspective, but from a business continuity perspective, from a long-term viability in the U.S. perspective, right? There's so many different things you need to consider. And that's why, again, you need to start those conversations many, many months in advance. We all know that 2020 is a peculiar year. You mentioned earlier, yeah. <laughs> I haven't traveled. I haven't either. Uh, we all got used to Zoom and everything. But we know that also the border closures, and you mentioned earlier the executive orders that were made in the US, made the entire immigration processes, not only in the US, but in the US specifically, kind of a very dynamic situation. Do you see this continuing and affecting how easy it is to transfer or how hard it is to transfer to the US and other countries? You know, 2020 has been, like you said, a dynamic year. Year, I, I do see things continuing as they are and being challenging to get to the U.S. quickly well into the end of 2021. Realistically speaking, I think that if you're looking to be in the U.S. on the ground, fully functioning with your family here towards the end of 2021, I would start that process now because it could take realistically nine to 12 months to get over here. That being said, it's not impossible. I have been extremely happy with the approvals that we've received out of the U.S. Embassy in London. USCIS, which is our U.S. Immigration Service, has been approving quite a lot of what I would consider founder visas. But yes, I do think that the troubles and the issues that we've seen in 2020 will continue well into 2021, unfortunately. 
Are there different implications for different types of employees other than founders? Good question. That is one really important thing we should touch on. Yes. And it has always been very hard to get even executive level sales and marketing team over to the U.S. So traditionally what we see is we've got your founders that move over and then the next group of individuals is those executives in the sales and marketing. And then usually what we see European companies do is keep their development teams in Europe for a number of reasons. So I really would love to stress that if you are planning on bringing even executive level C-suite sales or marketing members, it is going to take a special approach to get them over, especially if you have to utilize the L1. So I'll give you an example. You are a UK-based company, you have a UK founders, you're predominantly UK-owned, but your head of sales, your head of marketing is Swedish. We decide to do an e-visa to get the founders over because it's the fast and, and simplest way. We have to do an L1 for that sales exec. And when you start doing L1s for sales and marketing, it can really get complicated. So you really need to have an individual or your advisor know how to work those cases because you really need to present a more technical case than you would imagine. And so definitely plan ahead for those sales and marketing visas. Should we talk a little bit about the rest of the world? You know, Absolutely. It isn't just Europe and US. Clearly, we've got massive growth in innovation and the economy is booming in different parts of the world, in particular in Asia, China, and so on and so forth. Any particular things and challenges that we should talk about there? Yeah. I mean, I think we can hit on probably Australia, Singapore, and then uh, a little bit about China. Again, very interconnected world. And we usually see this kind of triangle and from an immigration perspective. And my partner, Brendan Coggan, actually does global immigration. So I wish I wish he was here today. But I do have a, a bit to say on, let's start with Australia, for example. They're still very much open to skilled group that is really needed for recovery. And as their internal borders open up, their international border will too. And so I would say that of any of the countries we're talking about today, Australia is probably the easiest to get into and to be functioning quickly. Singapore is uh, a lot like us right now, actually. So if you're in Singapore, just like much like if you're in the US currently, and you need to apply to change a visa or change companies, it's actually pretty straightforward in Singapore if you're already in the country. If you're not and you're outside and you're applying to get in, they have something quite similar to what we have here in the US right now, which is that national interest exemption. So you can get an approval for a visa, but you need to take that extra step and prove that it's in the national interest to actually be allowed to come in. China is complicated. (laughs) As you know, immigration is not centralized and it's regional and it is very political, especially if you are coming from certain countries in the world trying to get visas. So I would say that that's kind of the, the general layout of the world. And of course, we have travel bans right now into the Schengen area and vice versa. So we're seeing virtually no back and forth between that area and and the U.S. So not impossible, but I think one of the things that I would think about is, especially with Notion Capital companies, Stephen, I noticed that they really do tend to go into the Australia, Singapore, and then launch into the U.S. or vice versa, U.S. and Singapore, Australia. And knowing your global strategy, your global rollout, 
of your offices and where you think you'll go. Knowing that up front, talking to your immigration advisor on the global level will really help you kind of plan, right? Again, I'm going back to that planning piece. So say a founder wants to come to the U.S., needs to be on the ground for 12 months, and they know that they're going to Sydney next. Make sure that your immigration advisor knows that's the plan so that they can work to coordinate and possibly work in conjunction for your U.S. and Australian immigration issues. So I think that's really important. And you guys advise on on all of these kind of global opportunities and challenges. We do. We do. We actually have offices in Singapore, in London, and in Sydney and Melbourne. And... Without in any way getting political, what's your hope for the future going into 21 and 22? Some very basic desires and wishes. I would love there to be a stabilization of our immigration policy for a little bit. And this is not even in any way political, but it's just been a little bit up and down. Immigration attorneys have had to really use the courts a lot more. So just see a stabilization, see some actual reform where it is needed. There is no doubt, and this is not controversial, we do need to have some immigration reform in the U.S. We've needed it for quite some time. And having our government consider what our group, a group called American Immigration Lawyers Association, they advocate for change that will really impact a positive immigration reform. Their advice on reform would be excellent. And of course, a vaccine. <laughs> that we can get back, <laughs> which is not related to, to immigration at all. But let's get that those vaccines going so that we can get this, you know, have travel back on the map. And it's been amazing the the ingenuity amongst all of us on pushing things forward and finding ways to function quite successfully. There is something to be said for in-person meetings and getting to know each other and really would like to see that at least come back to a little bit of normalcy. I'm realistic and I know that we don't quite know what normal will look like. I'm really looking forward to to meeting you for a, a cup of coffee or a glass of wine in London or San Francisco sometime next year. That'd be something to look forward to. And I think everybody would agree with your your desire that a degree of normalcy returns. And let's very much hope that's the case. Well, thank you, Stephen and Paul for having me today. I really appreciate it. Very, very kind of you. Thank you so much. 